He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere before a great keeper now about to become the Masters champion. <clears throat> it looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to week 93 of a Good Talk Spoil Golf podcast. I'm James Richards and I'm joined with Barry. Hey, Barry. Hey, guys. And Will. Hey, Will. Hi, James. Hi, Barry. How's it going? Um, thank you, the listeners, for all the good feedback we got last week on the Twitter handle, which is at PodcastGTS. The email account is a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. I suppose the Twitter handle again, at PodcastGTS. Um, interesting, I suppose, looking at our own games for a moment and... Uh, uh, you guys, I didn't get a chance to do this on uh, Saturday, but you guys uh, went up to the Leopardstown driving range for a long drive competition. Oh, I actually forgot about that. This yeah, was yeah. all Will. Like, you found out about this, so you go. You go. Yeah, well, I got a text message uh, during, I think it was last Thursday or Friday, Thursday I think it was, from uh, a guy at the golf club. Um, he sent me on information about it, because one of the ladies who's a member of the club, Glenda Downs, um, actually works up in Leprosen, so she obviously knew about it firsthand. And, and this she, was for charity. It was yeah, in aid of Crumlin's Ch- Children's Hospital in uh, Dublin, uh, which is in obviously in Ireland, um, uh, which is a great hospital. You know that looks after sick kids. I was there myself once upon a time um, when I had a, a problem as a child. Great, great place. So I was more than willing to go up and yeah, yeah. You know, for the, first and foremost, I thought I had a chance of winning. You know, so just just in terms of for the listeners, it was ten euros. Ten euros, they did ten shots, golf balls, basically. Yeah. And how was it done? Was this, it done as ten? Was it on a? This is brilliant. Yeah, so it was on flight scope. So okay. another version of TrackMan. So yeah, era, so it's yeah. on a track a radar. Yeah. Thing, yeah. So no, but this is such a great thing because this can be just this format can be just transposed to any driving range in the world with the TrackMan. You know, so they indoors or outdoors, or outdoors. Yeah, so. On this day, this particular day was great fun because we had this uh, storm Desmond, which is like the I think it was a, the the end of a hurricane, basically came across the Atlantic, and the driving range happened to be facing with the wind at its back. Well, so in the afternoon when Barry went up, oh, yeah. oh, no, 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 no. <coughs> we're going to adjudicate. Cause I did <laughs> uh, <laughs> you get ten shots? Five you ten, five. Ten, no, you got ten shots straight. You just go ten shots in a row. Okay, so you just wait your turn, take your 10 golf balls, normal golf balls, away you go, down the driving range. That's but it. But it is on flight scope, so yeah. wind and really anything like that shouldn't make a huge difference, should it not? Because But is it not done on, if it's done on TrackMan, TrackMan does it from the point of the golf club hitting the golf ball and doing a radar. So the wind actually doesn't make any significant difference. Well, then there's some ridiculous hitting in Ireland because the winning drive was 409 yards. Well, as I understand it, no, I've podcast no, GTS, but as I understand a track mm-hmm. map, the box behind the golf ball yeah. reads the contact and the swing speed and the smash factor reads. and then makes a calculation, in fact, but from the, the ball leaving and can calculate from the velocity of the ball going. Where it ends up is calculated by the I, I think, it, track, by I think it, it tracks the ball as well, to be honest. Because well, there's this, no, there's no, the ball. This did, because there's no way it would come up with those end numbers based on the numbers that were being hit. So, as you, as you correctly said, it calculates club head speed, 
ball speed, smash factor, launch launch, to, launch angle. And this was all really interesting because you're getting immediate feedback on what your what your shot did, plus your own visuals on your shot. And it was kind of I don't know what what it was like for you in the afternoon, but we were having really detailed discussions about what exact what real numbers you needed and. He needed to be launching the ball higher because the wind was actually knocking the ball down if he didn't get it launched high. So the, the ones that went really far, like the guy, we were messing around at the very end of it. The guys, there's a couple of pros and a couple of guys who were really low, single-figure handicappers um, that worked in the golf shop there. They were hitting 380, 390s, and they were getting like launch about 17, 18 degrees, low spin. I mean, anything, anything above 2200, 2300 RPM, and it just wasn't going far enough. You know, it was spinning too much. You almost needed to hit like a knuckleball. And of course, club head speed and smash factor were were big parts of that. I mean, you need to be hitting like one point four seven or more in smash in smash factor. And the guys who were hitting the really long ones, they were getting up around one eighteen, one nineteen club head speed. Um, the guy who actually had the four oh nine, he was back again hitting a few drives, and he had a few swing speeds up around one twenty seven or something like that. Just phenomenal, but he couldn't do that every time. So uh, it, was, it was really interesting to see that you had to play a specific type of shot to actually make it work and get the distance. The one thing that um, I had been obviously talking to the lads, like, you know, when I went up there, and yeah, interestingly enough, you said that, because the first time I went up there, I, I did it three times. Like, I got 30 golf balls. I said, you know, I brought up 30 quid, and I said, well, if I donate 30 quid to charity, how bad? You know, the kind of way, I'm not loaded, but I, you know, it's better no, to it give it to a charity. Great, you know, and I enjoyed it, you know. But uh, I used my own Titleist driver which is a 9.5 degree um for the first 10 golf balls and the farthest drive i got was something like 303 or something yards um that was mainly because of the fact that my launch the highest launch i got was uh nine point something mm. right so my launch wasn't going great my carry was only 265 my club head speed was fine because that's the club head speed that i'm personally happy with which is about 105 um which is what my the guy I'm going to see, the pro, has asked me to to do, right? Um, then all of a sudden I went for the second round of 10 golf balls, and I actually asked the pro, I said, or the guy who was running it up there, I said, is there any chance of getting an 11.5? Just to see if there's any difference. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a ping. I don't know what, he said, I'll give you a ping with a special shaft, similar to your own um, stiff shaft that you obviously you would need. Um, and he said, I'll give you a 10.5 because... The 10.5 in pain would be the equivalent of an 11.5 mm-hmm. in Titleist. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of all this kind of stuff. But what I do know is the fact that all of a sudden then, I was launching the ball. Uh, when I hit my farthest drive, which was 3.43, three, mm-hmm. um, my launch uh, was 14.1. My carry was 320. And the wind was no different, really. <laughs> yeah. I the, pros, the pros the lads over there said the wind was better earlier on in the day than when I went up later in the afternoon but you still got gusts at times you, know, oh, yeah. you have to time it with gusts you can see the flags fluttering and it's like go hit it yeah now the, what, I, what I mean by the wind was no different it was no different Direction. when I was hitting the tightest oh right yeah, yeah you know actually, so yeah. what I'm saying is that it was a good comparison yeah like either you know the fact matter is that you're still talking about the fact that I was getting an extra 20 yards with the launch of the 10.5 with the ping. Now, you can put that down to a lot of things. Was it because of the fact that my Titleist was a, is five years old compared to the ping that they gave me, which was probably brand, brand new? So you're well, talking the about shaft the, the shaft was better. The shaft better. So the funny thing about it is, it just goes to show that 
I personally think that I hit my tightest driver very, very well, and it's well enough to get me down to six handicap. Mm-hmm. But how much better could I be if I had, first and foremost, the money to be able to afford the new equipment, and also someone to tell me what the equipment I should be using is. Yeah. So, very similar to what James has done and what you have done. You know, the kind of way... I'm not saying that I'm an amazing golfer, but I make do with what I have. But if you, but if, it's just if you could go get another 20 yards... Well, I got a 20, extra 20 yards from using it. First of all, what I would have thought would have been... Okay, now... Okay. It was a hurricane. Right? <laughs> But at the same time, you know, okay, my normal distance on my driver, having gone with my tightness, would be a carry of 265, mm. and I can get it out there about 285. That's with no wind, right? Uh, which is pretty big, you know, for an amateur, you know. So with taking that into consideration, I was still doing that. Uh, but all of a sudden then with the ping, I was going up to 280, 285. And then when I was actually loose, completely loose, when I was mm. in my, my third set of 10 golf balls, I was pumping it out there 301, 305, and then the final shot of my last, my last golf ball, I was searching the, 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 toe, the, the longest drive at that stage was 320, and I only got up to 317, mm. and I was searching for three yards, and my last shot I said, oh, where am I going to find three yards? Where in the love of God? I said, come on, Griffith! And I just pumped it, like, I mean, <laughs> but it wasn't even that I pumped it, it just, everything went perfect. Yeah. Sweet spot was hit. Everything, the, the trajectory, everything was brilliant. I couldn't believe it when it came up as three four three. Well, it was really good fun. I uh, I I went through three sets of balls to try catch you, and my best was three three eight. But it was just it was funny with the conditions. Like I hit a few hit a few shots where I'm like, you know, you hit it, you you feel a good feedback up through the shaft. You're like, yeah, that's great, good trajectory. It's not it's not fading or drawing too much. It was just a good shot, and you think. That's great, and then even yeah, a lot of the people were watching. They they'd go like, "Oh, great shot!" Or they make an early call on it, and it would come up at like three ten, and everyone's going, "What? How does that happen?" Like it just just strange. The conditions did, you know. Sometimes when you're playing in tough conditions or big windy conditions, you can hit a really good shot and you go, "Oh yeah, that's great!" And all of a sudden, the result is nowhere near what you expect it to be after how you hit it. And there was a lot of that, but um, it was just really interesting to see. Everybody try to tune a specific shot to a specific circumstance. Yeah, yeah. but it, it was what it was, and it was great fun. And fair play to the guys um, in the McGurk store in Leperson. They gave up their Saturday for this, yeah. and um, the pro up there in Pure Golf as well. That was it was really cool of them to do that. Um, kudos to Ping as well. They put up three Ping drivers for yeah. prizes. For the men's category, the ladies' category, and then the over fifties category. Yeah, uh, I think in both possibly, so it could have been four drivers in total. So um, fair play to them, and it was just it was really cool, and uh, certainly a concept that could be brought anywhere. The one thing I'll say, James, before you jump in there, right, is that in the middle of my third round of ten golf balls, right, what we myself and one other guy who was up there who like ended up like getting past me by about five yards. Mm-hmm. Or right now he was his clubhead speed was ridiculous. Like you know, the guy could pump it out there you know, 400 yards with the wind, you know, the kind of way sure, just yeah. spin that he was getting. But we decided we'd take it in turns and our, on our third one, we had a competition. You were befriending people up there. Oh, that's what I do. You know, the kind of way. But we decided we'd have a competition for each one of the 10 shots. So who was better, you know? Yeah, yeah. One. But on my fifth shot of the last set of 10 golf balls that I, 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 I did, I hit a drive. Both him and myself turned around and went, no more so than you and mm. other people, I but I I would know myself when I hit a good shot. I yeah. go that was pumped, that was hit. You know, you're not even feeling like you're hitting it. 
And the two of us were watching it, watching it, watching it. The launch was absolutely amazing. It carried the fence at the back, right? Mm-hmm. It didn't register on the screen. Ooh, that sucks. <laughs> I genuinely believe it would have been 410 yards. <laughs> <laughs> and, if, and, if, and if the winning had been 411, I'm sure it, it would be 412. Yeah. <laughs> just, that just, just while we were, while you guys were talking, I, I was looking it up. Um, Trackman's website claims that it is the only use of military uh, radar technology that tracks the ball from start to finish. All other uh, radars used in golf don't. The FlightScope website seems to uh, indicate that it actually measures it for the first 18 inches off the club base. Mm. It then uses a calculation on ball speed, vertical launch angle, horizontal launch angle, vertical descent, smash factor, spin rate, spin axis, carry distance, roll distance, and so on. And it then, in effect, uses a calculation within the computer program to work out what that distance was. So it doesn't track the ball consistently the entire way through its flight, but it takes points of its flight the whole way along and makes calculations from that? No, no, no. It says, according to the TrackMan website, it says TrackMan is the only radar technology on the market which tracks a ball in flight from start to finish. Sorry, I meant FlightScope takes point, data so points from the ball along its flight. Only the first 18 inches. And nothing more beyond. Nothing more. It says every other radar on the market takes the first 18 inches of a shot and then extrapolates the shot, thus creating a far less accurate measurement than TrackMan by using a series of calculations. And on the FlightScope website, and this is fairly boring for most people but just uh, it's interesting according to the flight scope website they seem to indicate that actually what they do is they take the first 18 or so inches they don't say 18 inches here i'm taking that from the TrackMan mm-hmm. website but they use 27 variables that they measure at the point of uh, at the point of impact and a short distance thereafter in fact you can see at the uh, their own kind of uh, graphic it seems to certainly indicate that it doesn't do it from start to finish. It certainly seems to be in the first, maybe third at the very most of I wonder, the shot. I wondered, um, I'm just... So it's a calculation that's based on that first bit, which which is as I understood it at the beginning as to how these, yeah. these worked. But there's, there's literally, there's no way those balls were going to go that far based on the numbers that were, people were swinging and hitting. It's just, it, the ball's not going to go But you can far. manipulate the... But, may, maybe the guy, I don't know, like, but it's certainly... The distances that were hit from the numbers that were put on a ball certainly correlated quite well with what we were seeing with the wind, with the flags, and I, I maybe I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Does does it have a a wind gauge on the seat on the roof to you know to gauge the wind to link into flightscope? I, I, not that I know. Of. I I have a small radar that yeah. I use up in the range, and I know if I hit a knuckleball that goes an inch off the ground but doesn't actually go more than 20 or 30 yards. But because I've hit it so hard with such velocity, the calculation of the ball going past it and the club head speed actually calculates 180 yards. Oh, if you blade when I look, Yeah, and right. I played it. When, I, when I've seen it, it's gone no more than 60 yards, but it's gone like a friggin' rocket mm. because I've hit it so badly. But where you hit them normally and you're hitting the, the certain swing speed, because I have so many pieces of technology all linked up, I can see these things. But that actually shows that if I just put real swing speed behind it, that will be what will equate into a certain distance. doesn't matter if it was left, right, or wherever, or what the wind, it will calculate it from the point it goes past the radar, and that's what the calculation is, and that then gives me 
the distance. But in any event, look, it was four oh something won it. You were hundred yards off. If, if so. any, if anybody were, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was three four three. I was sixty six yards off. The funny thing was, there's like the difference between those like three thirty and three eighty yard drives. There wasn't very much in terms of numbers. It was, I mean, a little bit of wind the right way or whatever. There, it, there really wasn't that big a leap to actually to get there. I didn't get there myself, so I was missing those extra few whatevers, but um, it was just, it was really good fun, great thing, certainly something you guys, uh, the listeners, should bring out to, to your driving range and do it for a day. It's, well, it's, whatever it's about great. the technology, it's just great yeah. crack and it's oh, yeah, good yeah, fun. Absolutely. Uh, uh, if I had a hundred euro in my pocket, I probably would have still be there. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if anybody works for Flyscope and knows how the technology works, it would be interesting to hear about it. it yeah. If it is a bit more technical than that. The well, I, I'm only just quickly looking. Or how it calculates beyond. Uh, cool. Well, well done to all the guys in running that and I uh, hope they raised a bucket load of money. I couldn't find any information on the regards to Twitter. We, uh, we got a very interesting email from from Morgan Malarney and um, which talked about the top 100 the golf digest top 100 golf courses in Ireland and there was two aspects to the question the first aspect uh, Michael Morgan we're going to actually park for the moment and we're going to look at the top 100 in much greater detail and give our opinion but the actual the second question which I think was very interesting will is what and why do you rate a course as a good course or a bad course or a mediocre? What is it that you look for in a golf course that says this is a good golf course, other than perhaps coming in with a good score, which probably makes everybody feel the course is great? I, I, I suppose. Uh, okay, if you're the, the first big thing is am I playing? Uh, am I playing it by myself? You're looking right because a lot of the times you can play in a really in a not so. Anyway, okay, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm mumbling here, right? Okay, what would I think would make a golf course? Uh, okay, greens first and foremost for me w- was the was the ball rolling well? Uh, was were they tricky? You know, the kind of way. Am I walking off the place laughing at the you know at how um, inept I am at reading the greens? So condition really the condition, oh, condition of the, the course, course you know. condition of the greens. Yeah, but you would thing. you would put a lot more. On the greens and say the bunkers, the fairways, the rough, or the tee boxes—is that—is that where because you feel that's where you spend a lot of time on the green? That's really where you feel. Yeah, uh, like tee boxes are, I suppose, secondary to me. You know, the kind of way as long as you've got something to hit off and they're not on a slope. Because I think I think a lot of the time when we've played in other golf courses, Barry, and you play in in other places, you you do have a tendency to say, well, we'll say, geez, the greens were very hairy today or very slow or they're not rolling particularly well. Is that where you look at golf courses when you come off and, you know, you played St. Andrews, for instance, you played some really amazing golf courses. When you were rating them, were you rating it on the greens were fantastic or is it the landscape? Is it the, the whole setting that the golf course is in that... One of the first things that makes a big impression for me when I go to a golf course is the the aesthetics and the condition. I I kind of they're separate things, but they kind of go hand in hand together as well. Like you have the aesthetics of the course, but the conditioning of those. So you know, tee boxes should be well man, you know, well maintained. You know, around the sides of them, if it's um, if it's wispy grass, then it's there. That's so on the links course, or you know, if it's just general rough around the tee box it should be you know neatly mown just to, so it has a good look and in good condition but they, they combine together into making a really good impression and you know when you walk out of the first tee box and it's nicely manicured you go yeah you get a really good feel from it's like walking into 
a nice uh, hotel foyer or something like that or a nice entrance to a house, all of a sudden you you, you have a really good imp- initial impression and that's going to help form the basis of the rest of your impression. So then you walk off the tea box onto the fairways, is the fairway in good condition and is it well mown? Are the, you know, is the difference between the fairway and the rough nicely defined or have, have they kind of gone for a blend? How have they done that and how does it look? And I'm, I'm a very visual person, so that will make a huge, um, will form a huge part of how my opinion um, comes about about a golf course. Beyond that, then, yeah, of course, like, greens have to form a huge part of it. And I don't mind if they're slow or fast. I, I want to see, I'd like to see consistency in them. I think that's very key across the entire 18 holes for them to be as consistent as possible. It, sometimes you do get the odd sneaky fast green, like the 18th and the Downs, our home course, is sneaky fast all the time. In the summer, it could be a foot, if not two foot faster than some of the greens I find, and even though it looks the exact same. So, I mean, that, that, and I, don't, I have no problem with that. It could just be a characteristic as a whole, you know, you, and that's just part of golf. You have to, you have to deal with that, but, I like to see consistency across the greens. Does the ball roll well on all the greens? And then, you know, that's a, that's a really good thing. Um, I would, I would, I would, yeah. I would say, you know, there's, there's two different ways of looking at this for me, right? Is that I played, okay, obviously I'm going to name a couple of golf courses here that just have stuck out in my memory. I haven't played, you know, like in the top 100 there that are listed. I haven't played a lot of them, right? So I'm going on the likes of, I went down recently and played, Heritage, the Heritage, mm. is that the one down a leash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the semi, so semi-design, semi-design course. course yeah. Right now, I, I walked off that golf course and I was talking to the people I was playing with, and I the one thing I was able to turn around and say about the golf course is that I thought every hole had its own personality. If that makes any sense, yeah. I, I stepped up on each tee and I looked down. And each each hole felt like it could have been put on any golf course. Not that it was just the same up and down and up and it's down. Variety. Variety. It's, it's a variety of challenges, a variety of aesthetics, a yeah, variety of, of challenges that have to be... Exactly. There was everything looked different and there were different set out of different spots and each kind of hole was like, you know, there was kind of like little mounds up on the side and stuff like that that made you feel like you were in, you're in, you're in your own little world within that hole. Yeah, that was like in isolation, not yeah. like part of a golf course. Yeah, and that's what I was. thought. Now, on the other side of that was the fact that there are other golf courses that I've been to that, okay, so that place, there wasn't many views to be seen outside of the hole that you were playing. It was kind of a flat course. You couldn't necessarily see the next hole or anything mm-hmm. like that. You were pretty much, you couldn't see other people on the golf course, you know, uh, whereas there's other golf courses you go to that you could stand on the top of a mountain and be looking around going, this is magnificent. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in my two cents worth for a second. I, I agree with both of what you're saying. I think condition, aesthetics, settings, you know, that, that makes um, a good golf course. What's set, there's a lot of good golf courses when you look at that. You know, there's not that many that don't have well-mowed, you know, fairways, you know, things like that. To me, it's the welcome you get when you come in the door from the pro shop. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the cleanliness of the locker room. Um, it's... Especially where you go to some of the top courses, a lot of places you just feel there's a little bit more care and attention given at the clubhouse. You know, mm. have you got everything? There's like, for instance, um, I, I played Royal Dublin last year, and it was on a random Friday morning at nine o'clock. Now there was a society in effect going out, 
But we arrived an hour before the tea time. There was a person there, make sure you go in, you'll get your sandwiches, whatever you want. And there was a guy calling us onto the tea. There was a proper starter. So straight away, I'm thinking, I love this place because mm. it's made me feel mm. like somebody. And to me, the best golf course I've ever played, and it's probably not the greatest physical golf course I've ever played, but the Emirates in Dubai, you know, the, where they hold the Dubai Desert Classic, that from start to finish, because we were met at the, the door, the clothes were taken off, they were cleaned, we were brought down to the driving range, there was the triangle of golf balls to hit. Everything was just to a different level of attention. You know, and, and you said, Barry, last year or two years ago, you said to us about St. Andrews, where you felt that the service wasn't necessarily as good as you expected or thought it would be, where other clubhouses you had gone to for some of the so-called lesser mm. courses around the area actually were better service. And that I think it left you with an even better impression of them than perhaps the old course. Yeah, I mean, in defence of the old course and, and the staff there, there's like that one main clubhouse that deals with the new course and the old course. It is, it's like Grand Central Station of golf courses. It's and so... Julie. And the Ju- Sorry, yeah, you're right. Six. It's so busy all the time. They have a couple of separate, I think, smaller clubhouses to deal with. The, this is like six courses. They have this one main one. And that's where we went through. And it's just, it's so busy, it's really hard to give that super level of care and attention to, to everybody, you know, that, to the nth degree. Whereas, say, for example, we went out to play, um, oh, I think it's called a castle course out, about 10, 15 minutes outside of St. Andrews. And in terms of, it was, a, it was a lot quieter, there was less people on the tea sheet and all the staff there had the extra time to give you the time and the care and attention. And of course you get, a much better feeling about the the staff there when you they have that extra bit of time to give to you. Um, I loved the castle. Oh, what a course! I thought the castle yeah. was the best course I played over. In Me too. That's an play. extreme example, as you were talking about holes that you feel are in complete isolation of the others because you barely see another hole when you're on one hole, and yeah, it's yeah. just. You, you, Unless if you have your wicket slice like you, where you're going over yeah, to yeah. other holes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. What's over that hill there? Hi, how are you, sir? Nice to meet you. That's <laughs> that, my golf ball. That <laughs> golf course was just spectacular. Some of the holes are just... I can still remember them, and that's a couple of years ago now. And that's that's a true mark, I think, of a, a golf course. That if it's memorable like that, then that's left a, a good impression on you for whatever reason. Even if you can't put your finger on it, you're like, well, you know, it must be good. It must be really good if I remember it that well. Yeah. And... That's in the and midst, probably, and I was hanging that day. Like, and, and probably stag, also, so, yeah, also you know, that's, that's a good sign for golf course. You, you, you long to go back. You know, mm. the 18 holes just isn't enough. You yeah. want to play it again. You want to come in and go, geez, I, I go out again now. I go out tomorrow. I'll be back in six weeks' time sure, if yeah. I could. I think you and I have that a lot with Karn. You know, mm. I don't think I'd ever get bored of playing. I think the aesthetics, the condition, everything's right down there, including the personality, the, the, the staff, the friendliness. But it's a course that the moment I'm driving away from it, knowing I won't be back for a while, I want to go hurry up because I want to go back yeah. because it just it leaves that lasting impression. Yeah, you know, and I think there's a there's a lot of courses that are in that top 100 that I've been lucky enough to play that I wouldn't necessarily say if you're coming to Ireland, play that course because mm. I think there's better courses with better personality, better aesthetics, better conditions. Better all round package. But let's sorry, very apologies. But to go back on to go back on your two cents, right? And this isn't like saying that you're wrong or that I'm right. But is this is this the point that you know some people would make that 
We're talking about golf courses, right? We're talking about the 18 holes associated with the game of golf, not the extra stuff that you get. And therefore, clubs that would have more money, um, who can afford um, to, you know, to raise it to a level outside of their golf course. So they may have a pretty golf course that is, like, adequate, but because they have... And this is not taking away anything from the Emirates because I would love to go there myself, right? But I'll take you someday. Please, well. <laughs> please, please do. I'll be your caddy. I don't care. Uh, we better bring balls, Harry so. as well. I'll, I'll stay here and record the call. You, can be, the, you can be the pro. Pretend <laughs> to be the pro. Uh, but like, I would like to think that a golf course is a golf course. Like one of my favorite golf courses of in Ireland, right, is a club called Clare Morris in County Mayo. Right mm. now, it's that's obviously got a lot of memories for me insofar as that that's where my family are from it's where I played a little bit of golf when I was four with my granddad and my dad you know but as a golf course I think it's absolutely fantastic Mm. now you drive in along a little road and it's got a it's got a fairly okay clubhouse and they've got a bar they they serve a little bit of food every now and then but as a golf course I think it's stunning right and it's a little known gem you know the canoe but it'll never be up there with other golf courses because of the money and I think that's the point, though, and I suppose... It is a good point, actually, that it is a, it's a golf course. That's what the rankings is, is golf courses, not golf clubs. Yeah. It, and it's an interesting one, because it is funny, the clubhouse experience and, and things outside the golf course will form part of your opinion on the course itself, or of the course. Of course they will. Because it just, it can't, you, can't, you can't get the impression in isolation. But you see, I think, I, I know the point you're making, and, and I accept that really... Perhaps the question by Morgan is is framed as the eighteen holes mm. from one to, to eighteen, but in, I suppose what I'm saying is that yeah, we look at the aesthetics, we look at the setting, we look at the difficulty, we look at the uniqueness of it. But I also think that if you have a bad impression through the clubhouse to the first tee, a, a green that's rolling not great is going to look even worse oh, yeah. because you've had a bad experience coming up to the first tee. If you're coming off after eighteen. And it's a good course, you've enjoyed it, and you've had a great experience, you're going to elevate it maybe above. You know, I suppose the point is that we could talk about this for a long time. Of course. Because it's a really personal choice. People will walk on, I'll get more out of a golf course. I would elevate a a mediocre or an average golf course maybe higher if I have that kind of feeling of an experience, a feel of service. Where perhaps, Barry, you would say, well, I was in two bunkers and they weren't properly raked and that really pisses me off. So I don't like the course because of a negative experience in that. And that's, I suppose, the problem with the, the likes of these rankings. Yeah. So much of it comes down to, you know, how do you rank Royal Port Marnock over Port Rush? What makes that the number one in Ireland if you don't look at the full package, the golf course, the clubhouse, the staff, the service? Compared to Claremont or or Carn or somewhere else. Well, I think it's, in in, in it's a, a very interesting it, it's, question. It's a very interesting question, and I think you're talking about um, you know you're talking about standards. You know, you're talking about the amount of money that someone is paying for a particular service. So, for example, someone goes and they're playing um, a golf course that costs 150 euro to play, right? Um, for a tea time, right? So they walk through the golf course, they have a bad experience in the clubhouse, they've paid their 150 euro, they're already disappointed, they go out, the golf course isn't that, you know, that great, they don't think it's 100, worth 150 euro, but if that golf course was 20 euro to play, it'd be a different thing, you'd be going, oh man, 
that was pretty special for 20 quid. Yeah, it's the expectation level. Of course it is, you know. And also the expectation level compared to someone like, um, okay, for example, Barry. Barry, you're a millionaire. 150 euro is nothing to He's you. not, ladies and gentlemen. He's not, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. <laughs> or ladies, even. Will, Will Griffith... <laughs> not yet. Will Griffith is unemployed. 150 quid is is a week's, you know, is, is a week's wages. You know, the way. So he's expecting so much more for his 150 euro than Barry the millionaire is expecting for his 150 million, or 150 euro, right? He'd probably tip his caddy 150 euro for the day, whereas I'm carrying my own clubs, you know. So I think that there's so many little things that fall into how you would enjoy a particular day. Are you playing with your friends? Are you playing with randomers? Well, you know? to put it in perspective, we I played uh, out in Carton House on a couple of occasions, and one of the things people have said when I've been playing the course and when we come in is they love one little thing, which is you can get a burger by the gate of the course. <laughs> You know, when you're far away from the clubhouse, and I think it's, what, around the 10th hole or 9th hole or whatever it is, but you can get, there's a burger stand there and you can pay your five quid and you get a burger. There's a guy who sits there all day just selling burgers and drinks. But it's when they people come in and go, do you know what, I really like that little, just that little thing over there. That was really, that's that's clever, that is. And you can have a burger and shack on a, quite a substandard golf course, but all of a sudden people are like... That burger, you know, that it just changes their mood, and all of a sudden, you know, the bobble or whatever you get, or you know, an unraked bunker might not piss you off as much as it would have. You know, it shows how much it comes down to the experience, how much individual we could, and we're going to move on now, but we could literally talk about this, Morgan, for quite some time mm. about what we are looking for. I think we can all agree, fundamentally, we're looking at. Aesthetics. We're looking at condition, uniqueness of the golf course. Yeah. Looking at difficulty. the landscape and the difficulty and the challenging. And and we're all mm. golfers who want to challenge. We don't like yeah. that up and down, up and down. No, no trees. You can knock it four fairways over, and you still have a shot in. You want to be at the point where you can replay those shots in your head, like your Ballesteros's, your Seve moments, where um, or or you know guys who. You're on the cart path and you're thinking, hey, I'll go over the tree, land right beside the hole. Boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, but you know that's because you want difficulty. Yeah, yeah. You know, we could all turn up to Augusta, we'd be annihilated. We can turn up to Black Page Black, Bet Page Black, and we'd love it. But again, we'd be annihilated on it. But I think we'd all probably walk off going, you know, that's pretty fucking awesome. But we'll still, it's, so it's more than just necessarily the score, it's the history, it's everything that goes yeah. along with it. And the funny thing about that burger thing that you're talking about in, uh, just one, one last thing, there's a co- golf course down in Wexford, is it, um, Court Town or, mm. uh, I was down there playing this year. It's the one that has the lift from the 17th yeah. to the 18th. Is that Court Town or Seafield? Uh, no, it's definitely not Seafield, that it must be because it is Court Town. Yeah, because yeah. I know Seafield because my sister got married there. Um, but this we played a wonderful day had by all yes it was a great day Uh, she showed up which was a good start Um, but uh, we the lift from the 17th to 18th but when you stand up on the you have to walk through the kind of forest and you come to the 9th tee which is a a little small little um, 300 yard par 4 lovely like you know Mm. from the forward tees you could have a smash at it like you know but there's a telephone well no you couldn't even we found out last weekend you can't hit a 400 yards but is it 300 yards oh 300 that's very short for a par 4 it's the same as Glen of the Downs 18 is 297 just just to point that out you know that kind of way I can hit a 300 yards 
Uh, but anyway, there's a telephone. <laughs> there's a telephone on the ninth tee, right? And you come up to the tee box, you pick up the phone, and it's connected to the clubhouse. To ring in the order. To so ring in the order. order, and they come out and meet you with the burger or nice. whatever you want. Uh, walking. Was some very quick googling. It's Bunclody. Bunclody has the elevator to the 18th tee yes, box. That's up it. five floors. Yeah, it's beautiful. With the bat phone to the uh, club. Yeah, but it's on, it's, yeah. it's on the ninth tee that you, you ring. You play the ninth, and by the time you're walking to the tenth, it's yeah. across a little road. And once you get to the tenth tee, uh, they'll have your your food ready. And well, of course, we didn't do it at the time because we'd all had a big breakfast. In the clubhouse. But you still use the bathroom yeah. just to yeah, say that. I got a photo taken with my... <laughs> hey, hey, Tony, just wanted to say that breakfast was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. eggs are regurgitating a bit yeah. now. Uh. Yeah. I, th- I think just like, uh, just taking the whole conversation um, together, just kind of summarising, it, it feels like it's an awful lot of little things that add up to the package. And one or two small things can derail a golf course from being a really good course or a really good experience on any given day for if you're comparing golf course or golf club. So... Um, it's hard. You can't. I don't think you, you can call it one specific thing or another specific thing. It's it's a whole bunch, hundreds of little things that all go into the package, and and that's why it's difficult to get to the top. Yeah, you, you know, you have to be very. They, these guys have to be very detail oriented, and they have to have a, a great golf course in the first place. All the factors uh, come together, and um, certainly just the, the top ten. Quickly, we will get to this um, in a couple of weeks. Um, Royal County Down, Royal Port Marnock Golf Club, Royal Port Rush, La Hinch, Waterville, Ballybunion, Tralee, the European, Adair Manor, and County Sligo. It's interesting that nine of those ten golf courses are yes. Lynx golf courses. Which I think probably comes back certainly to your point, Will, about location and uniqueness. Yeah. Lynx golf courses are going to have a huge amount of uh, uniqueness. Se- 17 of the top 20, I think, if I'm just on a quick scan there, are Lynx golf courses. So, uh, yeah. it's, um, it's a curious one there. Maybe that's very difficult for Glen of the Dens to get into the top 20. It really might, would, yeah. Might, might be. <laughs> we need to put a bit more fescue out there, maybe. Yeah, let's, a little bit. Yeah. Let's look at the, uh, the Nedbank, uh, golf challenge, uh, from last weekend with Gary Player Golf and Country Club, Sun City in South Africa and Barry. Excuse me, pointed out last week, this, this was at altitude, um, so it was quite a long course, but, but in truth it wasn't going to play that long. Um, Mark Leishman brought the curtain down on the 2015 with a stunning victory at the Nedbank. Um, and I didn't realise this until I read this earlier on today, that the Australian nearly lost his wife in April after she fell seriously ill with toxic shock syndrome, a uh, rare but life-threatening bacterial infection which resulted in her being put in an induced coma. Um, a fabulous way for him to finish the year um, he won by a fairly good canter at the end by six shots over Henrik Stenson Chris Wood, Danny Willett, Victor de Brisson Robert Streb, Brendan, Brandon Grace and then kind of out from there um, this is a tournament that um, is important for Mark Leishman now that he has won it is that about all we can say for it Will was he the, the deserved winner at the end of this uh, tournament? I think he was. Um, I think the big, big turning point, because um, himself and Stenson, Stenson was pretty much in control of this competition um, for the first three, for the first 52 holes of the competition. He had a bit of a rocky road in the second round. I think uh, he went bogey, bogey, bogey at one stage um, in the, at the beginning of the second round, and everyone went, whoa. I don't know when the last time we've seen Henrik Stenson having a, a trip, you know, three bogeys in a row. But then, literally, on his back nine that day, 
he think he went around in five under to get him right back into, you know, to be leading at the end of the day. So, you know, everyone thought, okay, he had a little bit of a wobble. But then all of a sudden, Leishman then came along on the end of the third day and uh, birdied the last two holes um, to get him right back up there. And you thought, okay, there's going to be a bit of a battle. Stenson will still be leading going in. Uh, but then, of course, Stenson had a bit of a bobble himself and he bogeyed the last two holes, I believe. I'm not 100% sure. 16 and 18. 16 and 18. Put it in perspective, uh, minus 19 was Mark Leishman. He had a 68, 68, 66, 67. Henrik Stenson was 13 under with a 66, 67, 70, 72. The difference was that ultimately he just didn't get the job done over the course of the weekend. Um, it's nice to see Henrik Stenson back, Barry. I know you're such a big fan of, of, of him. He's um, going, going to have surgery on his knee this week in yeah. Florida. so And he hopes to be back in January. So it's probably just a very minor thing, but quite important, obviously. It's just, he said it's been bugging him for a while. So, um, but it's amazing. Like he was two weeks ago, he's playing. He was absolutely awful. He was like almost dead last, and uh, amazing the way he could just come back around and challenge for a win, and so quickly afterwards. If if we look at the the US for the moment, because I'm going to ask a question in a minute mm-hmm. um, about these tournaments. But the uh, sorry, lads, you won't believe what I was just trying to do there with the computer. Touch the screen. I was trying to move the screen. I thought I was had an iPad an iPad in my hand. And I was actually trying to roll the, the screen down to see the rest of the scores. There's, uh, there's always oh, one yeah, ladies that's and there. Uh, <laughs> and if we were recording it, people would have seen it. But uh, at Podcast GTS, if you want to have a go, uh, will. So Bubba Watson last weekend uh, won the Hero Challenge. This was the Tiger Woods Foundation. Uh, it was taking place in the Bahamas. Bubba Watson gets in um, because Jason Day pulls out and... He, uh, he kind of moans a bit before the tournament starts. This isn't a golf course I like. It's not one that I'm going to you know, do too well. He ends up winning by three shots, although everybody else says what a wonderful uh, golf course it is for Bubba Watson. Um, a lot of strength um, ultimately overpowered the course. Well, I think that was a general feeling over the course of the weekend that his just sheer length, his sheer power ended up really pulling this course and this uh, tournament to him. This was a, a limited field of, of 18, 19 players. Could we even count this as a tournament? Is this? I know he's probably won a shed load of money. I don't know exactly what it's, it's it was. It's like a challenge match or something, isn't it? Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, sorry, lads. It was 18 of the best players in the world. You know, you're as an exhibition, you're not going to see much better. Yeah, that's wasn't the there now. Come on, but sorry, that's eight. So, so the eight <laughs> probably, but that is the point. The word is perfect. The, the exhibition. This was, in effect, a glorified end of season exhibition, isn't that? Oh, yeah. it, it was. As much as this is going to give Bubba Watson a huge amount of of of, um, of confidence going into the Christmas break and starting again next year, this isn't going to start making you open your wallet for Bubba Watson to win. Two or three more majors next year. That's this isn't a confidence boosting moment that you're thinking this is a man who's going to dominate the game, or is well, it? Well, the fact of the matter is that there was 18 players playing. It was a fantastic comp- uh, tournament. To, I actually thought it was a fantastic thing to watch on TV. Uh, I thought that for the first couple of days it was, you know, it was playing ridiculously easy um, for them. You know, in you know for the standard that they are at. But Watson was taking it apart. Um, five five par fives. You know, uh, you know. Realistically, they're looking at the fact that twenty under would have been a reasonable 
that's what like Jordan Speed Jordan Speed said. You know, it's playing five under. That's what they're. Yeah. And I think Jordan Speed made the point that I think he's he's forty seven under for that tournament. Yeah, uh, over the last two, two years, years. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, so it is. It's a birdie fest. It's aimed at a birdie. It's changed, changed venues, yeah. obviously. Yeah, you know, yeah. Last year to this year, but it's still factored in that it's an exhibition, so they're setting it up for them to score on and oh, hit yeah. lots of birdies and make it entertaining. It was. It was really, really entertaining because, like, literally, you were watching. You were going from par fives that were reachable to far par fours that were drivable mm-hmm. uh, to then long par threes. You know, and then you were straight back to a drivable par four. So it was. It was really like just. You know, if you got if you had a, if you were driving the ball well, yeah, you were game on. A, a, stun, a stunning hole and won by Jordan Spieth, I think, on day two on the second hole. Day one, day one on the, the second, second hole. Yeah, and um, I thought at one stage over the course of the week, Bill Haas might have actually, as we went through basically all 15, eighteen players last week, and I said, "Sure, Fecky, we'll go. With, I'll go with Bill Haas." I yeah. thought this would be this great moment now, Bill Haas. Um, the Bushman, did you see a shot out of the bush? Well, I was gonna, oh, I was gonna talk. Was this, was this when the bush lost? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I thought J- Jimmy, I had Jimmy Walker called, and all of a sudden he was leading after two rounds, and I was, I was saying to myself, "Now push on, Jimmy, push on, Jimmy, push on, Jimmy." Jimmy never pushed on. Well, <laughs> did you not send him a text message? No, I did. The, I the interesting thing about Jimmy Walker is he has already started his winter changes. He started them last week with his coach and yeah. was saying that he actually really was turning up this week not knowing what kind of player was going to turn up with them and ended up the changes have and he I and I, I heard him say that it was probably the most enjoyable golf that he has played in, in a couple of years. That it was simply from tea to green he really enjoyed it. He struck the ball much better. It, it, there's a there's a comment in um, Golf Monthly, this a letter that's that's put in and, and I suppose it's a really good week to, to, to ask this question, Barry, to you firstly. And it's it's a letter from Thomas Allen in London, and he basically makes the point that while he understands the need to make the game, the golf game, global and the amount of money the crowded schedule now must generate, but isn't it time to cut back on some of the seemingly endless seasons? I cannot think that I, I cannot be alone in thinking the sheer number of meaningless tournaments are overexposing the game and could ultimately mean that achievements like Russell Knox at the WGC will just simply get lost in the crowd. And more importantly, that viewers just get bored of another tournament. It's the same same type of competition, same people, just a different part of the world. Have we got to the point where the season now, with this wraparound in the US, basically we've just got to the end of the, the European The European Tour is effectively a wraparound because it starts its first event of the new season the week after the Race to Dubai Finals happens. Does the season go too long now? Have they pushed it to the point where viewers are getting to October, November when their own golf season is over and going, I'm done with watching golf? Is 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 that something, is that the sentiment that you would share that, that that's raised here in the in the magazine? Oh, I, I think so. it is I think it is getting to that way. I mean, I'm a massive golf fan. I'll watch all sorts of golf on TV, particularly the, the high end ones and I didn't watch a minute of either of these at the weekend. I think I saw maybe five minutes of the European tour and I flicked over to watch another sport. I just kind of went, I've had enough. I I think I saw it on Twitter. I can't remember who said it, but it's a really good point. It says, why not for these exhibition tournaments? And they are exhibition tournaments at the end this of the year. This is the likes of the hero. Yeah, the hero, the 20, the 50, the limited fields, the 15 or the 18 or 30 man fields and the Franklin Templeton shootout coming up this week. 
why not have the players mic'd up and hear them talking and, you know, get, talk to them, get the... That was actually my suggestion to you on a text message. There we go. I knew it. Certainly not in isolation. I have seen it about Twitter as well, but it's a re- it is a really good idea. Get the on-course commentators to go out and talk to them a bit more. What were you thinking there? Why did you take that shot on? Why didn't you go for it there? Like the what, champions what was the sort of that, you know, the four guys who play who win the majors. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, like, some of them don't turn off. Yeah, yeah. And gets in there every year. Every every year. year. Yeah. But like, it's a great idea. Like it, it brings it, it gives it sh- put, portrays the game in another light and gives it a unique angle for that week and kind of separates the event from all the other events of the year just it, it, and makes it a bit more fun you know rather than just the, the humdrum tournament 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 week after week well, after week the suggestion that I made to Barry that he thinks he saw on Twitter but didn't uh, not only about the miking <laughs> but that in fact they could look at different types of tournaments you know different different um, competition types like for instance you know I know you talked about it and I know this they never do this particular but you know make them pick Five clubs, you know, that they can have their putter in five clubs. Make them think about something different. Mm. Something that makes you go, geez, you know what, I, I actually would like to watch that. Or the Stableford, or something that changes the course, changes the viewership. Or because no, it no gives caddy, us something no different. No caddy golf. No caddy golf. You know, that's, that's, there's something just yeah, different. I, I also yeah. think, in my opinion, one of the great things that they could do would be an exhibition with the men and the women playing this week. You know that that would have been something that would have been really interesting to see them both go up against each other, mm-hmm. a kind of a either a men versus women or you know, a team event, team or, event yeah, or yeah. something around something different, something that actually at this time of year you go, do you know what? Actually, I will really, I'd, I'd love to watch that. I just didn't get that with the hero, and and and, and it was annoying me when I was watching it because when you see the leaderboard with some of the world's best, the Jordan Spieth, Bubba Watson. You know, Paul Casey. These guys are the best in the world. Jimmy Walker, Patrick Reed. They're guys you want to watch. They're, they're That's major competition field. But for whatever reason, I just had no interest really in, in getting just, involved. It never grabbed me, and I don't know why. There's nothing at stake other than the prize pool they're playing for in a nice holiday vacation, holiday week in the Bahamas for the guys, you know. And as a, viewer, as a viewer, it's hard to engage with that when there's not... It's just money for them, and another week it's like a, a you know fill your wheelbarrow week or whatever. There's not there's nothing else at stake for the viewer really, other than just wa- just watching the golf. But we do that for whatever forty something other weeks of the year, so it's a great opportunity, as you were suggesting, to throw something in the mix. Throw you know just lob a grenade in there and see what happens. That's another way of doing it. Make them throw throw, Met, throw grenades at the golfers. Make them hit grenades. Metaphor. Well, you see, yeah, here's, here's a, you know, and, and and again, just thinking about ideas, putting them on the clock. You know, making them when they step up onto their tee shot. You know, from the time they step on the the the, the tee box, they have. 30 seconds to play their shots. So they have to be oh, yeah, yeah, quick you, you actually have to play. You know, yeah, when yeah. you get to, when you walk up, you have, you know, you have ten, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever it is, mm. you've got to pick your club, you've got to chess. It's anything that, I just think that, and I know I'm going on, and no I'm going to finish with this, I just think that we're getting, and I, I couldn't agree more with the comment by, by Mr. Allen in, 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 in Golf Monthly. When I read it, I, I sent it to, to you guys and said, look, you know, I couldn't agree more with the, what this guy is saying, they are becoming 
the same old, same old competitions. And they need to think drastically about how they want to change it and, and, and keep viewership interested. A little bit defence here now, it, because we're, we're banging on about this and they're not, they're not changing things up. The Franklin Templeton Shootout, another end-of-season exhibition, to their credit, have a modified structure throughout the week. Three days of play, they're playing a scramble on Thursday, a modified alternate shot on Friday. Lord knows what that is, but it's it's some sort of force. It's probably um, Scotch forcings, actually, if you think about it, to choose the best drive of the mm. two guys and go forcings from there on. And then better ball on Saturday. But that's a bit of fun. Throw the mics in the players and get the com- gone course commentators out chatting and interacting with the players. And all of a sudden you've got a package and something that people will be more willing to watch this time of year rather than a and other golf tournaments. And so this is this has a decent uh, the guys there, Frank decent Frank guys are playing. Jason Day, Harris English, Scott, yeah, Zach Johnson, Graham McDowell, Daniel Berger, Billy Horschel, Hunter Mahan, Mike Weir, Sean O'Hare, JB Holmes, Patrick Reed. So there's good names that are going mm. into this. So again, it's you know, I, I let's let's see what it's like. Let's see. We'll give it a go. I I, I think we'll tip our hat to them. Just before we move on and 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 wrap up, uh, the LPGA. Q school took place, Barry, and you were just having a quick look at this. Oh yeah, um, the, li- the list of, they, they list have of tour card winners. Because just just in terms of the LPGA won't return now until January twenty fifth with the Pure Silk Bahamas Classic. The European tour has now ended and will return on January seventh with the BMW in South Africa Open. We have the Franklin Templeton shootout, and I'm pretty sure that ends then the. Um, the the US PG, uh, the PGA, PGA tour. tour for a good few weeks until after Christmas, and um, so this is I suppose coming to the end. But just in terms of the the LPGA and the tour school, because there's a few uh, interesting names that that got got through this week. Are you making me do this because there's a few players from Thailand have qualified and their names are impossible to pronounce? Well, I'm going to give right. it a go. Well, there was one particular person. Oh, well, it, it, we, I'm sure no, nobody's missed the headlines. Shane, Shane Woods, Tiger's niece, got her tour card. So she'll be playing the LPGA next year. Along with the 19 others. Do you want to have a go now, Barry? Okay. Go. Simon Feng, Grace Na. Oh, my God. I'm going with this, the surname. Sukapan, Rodriguez, LeBlanc, Khan, Clanton, Ramsey, Beck. I feel like I'm walking into a trap here. <laughs> Sarissa Wang. Lopez, Yang, Woods was there in tied 13th. Chankia, Clyburn, Strauss, Duncan. Oh, here we go. We'll let you away with it. Donapol Bunyaras. Here we go. And Nifat And Yang. Spanish accent with a thigh name. I apologise for butchering the names, girls. Woods and Lopez seem to be the two that have jumped out. A lot of people saying on the European side of things, Lopez is definitely one to watch. She's Mexican. Um, yeah, no, but I think she's oh, playing right. on the European. Oh, okay, um, I guess, yeah. And Holly Clyburn is that she's talented. one that has been, uh, has been highlighted. Was there one thing, um, just before we kind of finish up, the, is the father-son competition on this uh, week, I believe? Well, the, the, did you put it in the agenda, Will? No, <laughs> I was because the reason why is because I actually heard them talking about it when I was watching The Hero, and they were going on about, it's the father-son competition is on, and I think the rules are that you have to have won a major, and that to, I would like to watch. <laughs> in, order, in order to play, and in order, in order to qualify. To on the Okay. And then it's father. And it's still called father son, even though one of the players is actually playing with his daughter. 
Well, that's fair. Father Child, then. It should be Father Child, but they yeah. even said this on the TV. They go, Father Son competition on next week. And funny enough, someone's playing with their daughter. And then they went, but we'll watch, we'll call it the Father Son. <laughs> Well, you know, things move very slowly to change in, in Gal. But I always think that's pretty funny, though. They'll, they'll give an hour or two on Sky Sports at some stage over the weekend to kind of show who wins. Yeah, like, and, and uh, this week is the final of the Trilby Tour, which is an amateur event that takes place across the UK and Ireland uh, during the summer. So that's something else that's worth watching. Is yeah, that's as, as something interesting. Yeah, they all wear the, the, the 1960s yeah, kind yeah. of outfits. And, mm. you know, it's all amateur based. But it's 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 enjoyable because it's... You know, you can see some absolutely, and I always feel sorry because they tend to always end up in a playoff, and usually the first guy to tee off ends up like you know, topping at about five yards in front of them, and he's come in with like forty-two points for his eighteen holes, yeah. and then stands up with the nerves and everyone's standing around. So it's a very enjoyable. If people have never watched it, it's well worth watching. If you are a sadist, you would love it. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> yeah. um, well, that that just leaves me to. Say to any of the listeners, if anybody wants to get in contact with us, we're at Podcast GTS. Our email is at goodtalkspoiled at gmail.com. And I suppose from us, for the time being, on a weekly updated podcast, this is going to be goodbye. We're going to be back at the beginning of January when the season really kicks off again. However, what we are going to do over the next two weeks, we're going to put together um, a couple of kind of highlight packages and talk about the season, the majors, the highs, the lows, and really a kind of a, an end of season awards, what we thought were the best shots, who we thought were, you know, the breakthrough guys. It's just going to be us basically talking for an hour. Yeah, as always. If anybody has any categories they want us to put into the end of season awards to consider or any nominations for their categories as well, send them in at podcastgts or goodtalkspoiled.gmail.com. Uh, we're going to do all the usual ones, but hoping for a few unique ones from the, the listeners out there. Yeah, so hopefully if anybody has any ideas mm-hmm. uh, in relation to it, let us know. We'll, we'll certainly debate them and get in, in, into it in bigger detail over the next couple of weeks. Um, I suppose that just leaves me to thank Barry and to ba- thank Will for, I suppose, the year that's been. Um, looking forward to, to next year already in January. Looking forward to the two review shows, which will mm. be an interesting debate between us. Um, most importantly, I want to thank the listeners. Uh, without you guys, it, as I've always say, you know, it's just three guys sitting in a room talking to ourselves. But um, anybody who has any views on how to get the show better or what you'd like to, to talk about at Podcast GTS. Other than that, have a fantastic Christmas. Enjoy it. Sorry, just one last thing on behalf of myself and Barry. We'd like to thank James. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> thanks very much. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I only... Yeah. Popped in and out over the course of the year, but thank you. Uh, but I hope everybody enjoys the holiday, whatever they are doing, wherever they are in the world. And um, I hope Santa is very good and brings a lot of golf equipment to you. We look forward to hearing all about it in January. And um, so, thank you at Podcast GTS, a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. And we will do the last two review shows and we'll talk to you again in January. <laughs> Bye-bye, man. Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.